So we got a special episode today. Um, I'm sitting here with Drew, and you play Craval. Craval, and yes, some um, fancy things have happened to Craval just lately. Um, kind of shocking things, actually. Uh, um, the players a, certainly didn't see it coming. That's a lightning breath reference, isn't it? Yes, and uh, the uh, the uh, listeners certainly didn't see this coming. But um, to be if, fair, I didn't think about this until much later either. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a surprise for all of us. Yes. Well, th- what happened was a surprise. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's 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 pull back the curtain here and let's uh, go over with everybody how this comes about and, and what happened. But first, let's uh, let's go all the way in the way back machine. And why don't you tell us about Craval? Oh, boy, I'm sure some listeners are tired of hearing about it by this point. Um, so. Depending how far back you want to go, all the way back, like level one, go back. Yeah, let's go all the way back back. to the beginning. Okay, so uh, creation uh, for this entire podcast. When you asked me to make a character, um, being due to a podcast, I didn't talk to any of their players. I didn't have any idea what was being made, so I figured, okay, I'll just make something that's almost always in need of. And I decided to go with a fighter, um, not realizing at the time that Bryce would make Cotter. Um, once we started playing, well, also you got to remember that we had a slightly different makeup of uh, players true. to begin with. Yes, that's right. So in, in, in our first cast that, uh, didn't come together, we, we made, we made one recording and then couldn't get together for three months and realized that this wasn't going to work, that we needed, um, cast members that could commit to being there. So we, uh, you know, dropped back 10 yards and punted, um, and rearranged the, ca- the, the play groups and, and put, people that could commit to being there every week on, on this group and uh, the rest is history as they say but yeah the original one we had uh, not only did we have a paladin but we also had a cleric and uh, and a rogue mm-hmm. and then that the cleric and the rogue dropped out and we ended up with what we ended up with yeah and um, I think if we I think if we had kept the cleric and the rogue maybe I never would have done what I did with Craval but um, you know I've, I've freely admitted a few times that I had not given much thought to how to what the character would be like until it was like really the day before coming to do the first recording. So I just threw the fighter together and said, "Okay, it's good enough," and really didn't think about it. And it wasn't until three or so levels into it with the new full recording group, it was like, "Well, this is kind of redundant to me because Bryce was a very good tank, and um, we didn't have a healer at all." We have the two monks, we mm-hmm. have the sorcerer, we had the paladin and the fighter. So I figured, okay, we'll just go ahead and I'll split into cleric and we'll try it out. And it would have been fine. And it might have stayed fine um, had I not switched into a barbarian. Um, you know, learning that at this point, 5e is still pretty new. So the idea of multi-classing was exciting. And uh, and at the time, being a uh, Eldritch Knight, that's how far back that goes. Mm-hmm. So I was an mm-hmm. Eldritch fighter. Uh, and a cleric would have worked fairly well. Yeah. Um, not to say that the barbarian, the cleric didn't, but very quickly realized there's only so much you can do if you decide to go into that rage. And yeah, that's probably the yeah. whole, that was probably a very, um, frustrating, but smart move by yeah. wizards of the coast. 
So, but you know, playing back yeah. and forth on it was interesting for a while. And and then if we drop back to the barbarian part, that was actually forced by the story. Um, this wasn't your original plan, but we got to talking about it um, when the you were going to return to the Dragonborn, and then we're like, well, the Dragonborns are the barbarians of the mountains, so you wouldn't be a fighter; you would have been a barbarian. Blah, blah blah yada yada and so then we had the big reveal during the fight scene where you go into a rage and it turns out no you're not a fighter you're actually a barbarian yeah and that was very exciting it still is right it's one of the better moments for me with uh bryce because mm-hmm. bryce you know nobody could see it but he was completely flabbergasted when this whole class switch first occurred well and let's take a look at bryce's storyline too because if you remember you know what Bryce's big reveal wasn't a uh, class. For him, it was his background. Which he, is a class all of its own. <laughs> yes. So he, he was a hidden noble that had this huge fortune that he had walked away from. And, you know, that was going to come out. So part of it was you could just see it in Bryce's, you know, kind of smirkiness that uh, he's like, oh, my gosh, Drew just out me. You know, he, he's like here he had Bryce had this whole secret storyline that he was going to reveal at some point, And you just beat him to the reveal of your storyline. So you know, I, I could just see that in, in, in his, you know, the, the kind of, uh, you know, grimace that he put on. It's like, oh, my gosh, he just he just out uh, secret storyline me. Yeah. And which was interesting because, you know, the, which I think everyone should do if you're especially doing a podcast. I've communicated a lot with you over the years about Craval and what are we doing with him and what am I doing with him and um, looking back on it now because if we've had a chance to really expand on the Dragonborn which weren't part of your world mm-hmm. to begin with um, may have been a barbarian but may have kept the fighter class levels or maybe he's mm-hmm. done one level barbarian but kept the fighter and the, the uh, cleric thing going be that as it may um, it was a lot of fun to begin to explore multi-classing because for a while and still pretty much I'm the only one that really is delved into multi-classing not saying anything against uh jesse who just did it with adrian mm-hmm. but you know it's been a really uh painful learning experience of how to balance two classes and make a successful character mm-hmm. yeah yeah you gotta figure out which one you have to level each time yeah. and you gotta i mean you really have to project down the road a ways and mm-hmm. say okay hey you know how many of these levels do I need and how many of these levels do I need to get these really cool abilities that are later on in the talent tree of each of the uh, classes. And, you know, if, if you if you take too much of both, you end up with kind of this mushy character that's neither good at any either one of them. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a lot. There's a lot more complexity to it than you might think. Yeah. And the second big thing and uh, to, you know, give a lot of what I mean. You already do so much, but as a dungeon master, a huge amount of credit is having a dungeon master like yourself who is willing to work with a player who, being honest with myself, I know of all of them, I'm probably the most irritating one for a variety of reasons, mostly because I'm always talking about, oh, what are we doing with my character? This isn't working. This is working. And texting you and figuring out doing different things, fighter to barbarian, barbarian into cleric, barbarian cleric into paladin, now cleric into paladin. And um, that will drive anybody nuts, but you've handled it wonderfully. You've never well, been it's short been a fun me. journey to be on along with you. Yeah, yeah. it's been an, it's been educational, and anybody yeah. who's uh, ever curious about how that works, if they listen to this podcast, they're probably going to say the same thing I'm going to say, which is thank you. And geez, that guy Drew is really annoying to his dungeon master. No, Has y- to be. You, you're definitely not the most annoying one. So, no. well, in fact, you're probably you. not even the top three. But. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's been interesting to try this and figure out how to do a multi-class character. Um, now, though, fast forwarding a little bit um, with this uh, story 
line that did it. And by the way, the way it worked, I think is the only way it could have worked, which was, and it was, it's being truthful to our listeners. I did roll um, for that cleric ability of divine intervention. I did it right in front of another player and the dungeon master. And I just happened to roll extremely low. So it succeeded. So that's the only reason this actually even worked. And, um, and that was kind of fun because, I mean, normally when you do one of those divine intervention rolls, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, this is not going to work. Right. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's like, oh, it worked. Well, yeah. hey. But even with it working, you know, then it's like, okay, well, how do we make this work? Mm-hmm. Literally, how do we make this work? Yeah. So it seemed, you know, I think we, I think I had in real time from the moment I did that roll to we finally got around to it, I think I had about two months time to really think about how this is going to work. And ultimately the way we did it is how I felt was the only even close to being fair, which is more than fair as a player to, as a dungeon master to a dungeon master, the most fair thing I could have been done, which was give up the barbarian levels, mm-hmm. put them into cleric, and then go from there. And it, it worked pretty well for me, yeah. I thought. And, and story-wise, um, if we had gone with a different character, it probably wouldn't have worked, um, you know, at least story-wise well, because it'd be like, um, okay, I'm, you know, say I'm part fighter, part rogue. I want to give up my rogue side. It's like, well, you've just spent the last two years training in rogue. How are you going to give up two years of training? Whereas with a cleric, it does work because you have the divine intervention where, you know, the God can just come down and say, poof, you're now a cleric. And uh, which is, you know, basically what happened. And and so that, that part worked out. So, you know, really kind of the stars aligned on this one yeah. for everything to, to work out correctly. There are certain classes that I've learned when playing Dungeons & Dragons. And the easiest one to say this about is by far what Owen is playing with a, with a chaos sorcerer. Um, I know that's not what it's called, but that's basically mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. Because, you know, the random table and it always does something fun. But when you have somebody, when you have an ability with a cleric and when anyone runs a cleric, I don't think there's every dungeon master that is just bone deep afraid of divine intervention and a lot of them immediately will just go to that jerk side of their personalities like oh he's doing divine intervention i'm just gonna mess with him it's gonna mm-hmm. be anything what he wants which is i think as to quote matthew in one of his comments one time which is a cop-out mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. just a dungeon master thing i don't want to deal with this drama bs whatever you're bringing to me uh, and i really appreciate the fact that you didn't do that and you listen and say what i was trying to do i wasn't doing anything game breaking i didn't think mm-hmm. so yeah, that it, I think you're right. I think in this case, we weren't doing a simple like say archetype swap. We were doing an entire class erasure. Yeah, and in this one instance, and I, without shy of like a wish, I can't think of any other way it could have been done. Yeah, and so yeah, the, it, it, just like I said, the stars kind of aligned on this particular request, and all worked out. And and actually, it, as we were talking about the, the situation there with you know the just messing with the players. It's like, I think as a dungeon master, if you are, have a low level cleric that might be called for. It's like, you know, you're just an acolyte. Why are you making a request of your God? You haven't even proven yourself. You know, the God's just going to go, you know, please get away from me. Come back to me. Come back to me when you're my devoted servant. But once you get to where we are now, where you've got, you know, characters that are devoted evangelists of their God and are, are going out and doing that God's works in the, in the world, yeah, at this point in time, you have gone and gotten attention of your deity, and your deity is probably much more likely to want to visit favors on you for, for all that devoted service. Well, and, and and that also goes to, again, to you, because when we first talked about doing the whole cleric with me, we went through, I want to say six or seven possible ideas for mm-hmm. who the patron for this would be. And ultimately, I think, because I actually had wanted to go uh, a death cleric. Because I thought they were really neat. They're only found in the Dungeon Master Guide. 
but looking back on it now, it doesn't fit. Yeah. It seems great, but it really doesn't fit. And you're like, well, you know, Celtic war. And I was like, well, is that really going to fit? But the more we play with it, it's like, yeah, well, almost like it's almost like a duh. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Who else would the would the Dragonborn follow? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even now I can't think of one. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Maybe nature, like the Druids. Yeah, true. Yeah. That'd be about it. They're definitely not going to be the intellect. They're not going to be the light. They're not mm-hmm. going to be et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yeah. And then just basically by living his life the way he was brought up, he's paying homage to the domain of war and he's getting his, you know, positivity. He just, yeah. you know, he just doesn't He is the war who, leader, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't deny who he is. He doesn't make an excuse for who he is. And if you don't like it, well, you can bring it up with me and my God and we'll, we'll have this out. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so, so um, yeah, so... We started out and actually, and, and tell everybody about the the backstory that you gave me for, oh, for your character. That'd be fair to say what backstory is the exactly. answer. Um, and that's the, I mean, so to, I mean, so I'm going to go into real life for a second. So please, please stop me if I get too personal. So you have to understand the way I met Michael, the Dungeon Master is through Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I hadn't played Just for about a, all of the people in our group are, you know, tangentially related to the scout troop in one way or the other. Yeah. So when I found out he did this, I was a big Dungeons Dragons fan, but I hadn't played for over a decade and 5e had just come out. In fact, I think he were beta testing it. My first character wasn't even a Dragonborn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was. It was Dragonborn uh, Bart, I think yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not making this up when I say he literally tore to pieces with a Hydra. So when we came out, um, he was showing me podcasts. I was getting back into the Dungeons Dragons scene. And then he finally said, hey, what about doing our own? I'm like, okay, sure. So that's kind of how I got roped into it. At time at Matthew and eventually Jesse and then Bryce and Owen and Melanie that was how we started. I didn't realize at the time how addicting I would get into this game. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to do. So we start playing this game and he's like, you know, develop the character. And I'm like, okay. So I came up with Dragonborn. Didn't even ask if there were Dragonborns in this world because as a very uh, completely amateur D and D player to 5e and to podcasting, it's, it's can't be stated enough how intimate it is. To mm-hmm, a person, mm-hmm, you're, yeah. I mean, I mean, you're, when you look at someone's world, when you join someone's game, it's really easy to look at it as a game and nothing more. But there's there's a whole huge part of your personality and imagination in this whole world. So when you're in front of anybody's table, especially a podcast, and you're in that world, you're as, you're literally mentally as close to this person's personality as you're going to get without being in an actual physical relationship. So when you make a comment or when you go off the rails like I've been prone to do, it's not till you after effect that you realize, oh man, I just totally stepped in this guy's safety imaginative area and kicked it. <laughs> so, well, sometimes that's good though. You know, it, it, it's the old the old diagram where it says, you know, the, the Venn diagram that's got the circle that says where you're comfortable. Right. And then there's another little dot way up here in the top that says where growth happens. Yeah. And it's it's really true. You have to get out of that comfort zone be to grow. And so sometimes it's great to to actually kind of kick over the anthill in in a you know a, you, you know someone's custom made world and because then they have to go oh hey wait I was getting kind of a rut there yeah. now we're gonna grow a little bit this world yeah well that's where communication is key you know and just like mm-hmm. everything you know because hey I would like to do this I mean the only time I don't think I didn't talk to you about something I was about to do is when I thought you know it makes sense that somebody who lost his memory would start having it come back and then take over and then respond violently because he doesn't know where he's at and then slip back into it mm-hmm. and this that and the other so the two or three recordings I did that I had not talked to the dungeon master at all about it which is a very very big no-no for other things i just said because yeah we did have to have a talk after that yeah. and said hey you know if you're gonna do something let me know right. so we can kind of plan now story-wise it made sense but it would have made even more sense if we had a few more weeks to talk about it plan it and then mm-hmm. we still could have surprised everybody with it it wouldn't have been so abrupt to the dungeon master who had to 
think, who already has to think on his feet at times, but now he really has to think yeah. on his feet because now he has a player going rogue. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, so basically you you handed me a uh, almost a blank sheet for your mm-hmm. background saying that just that you'd been found on the side of the road, no memory, yep. to which, you know, the, at that point in time, just about any Dungeon Master is just going to sit there cracking his knuckles yep. and go, okay then, well, let me make you up a backstory, which is basically what happened. Mm-hmm. Which when, you know, now looking back on it, the way, the, the way it happened was very, even now I can think back and be very amused by it because without talking to each other at first we began to really have similar thoughts mm-hmm. um, yeah anyone who's been listening or goes back and listens will will see what what i'm about to say is true is that the dragonborn in your world are kind of a mix between the maori um the uh japanese warriors whose name i'm totally the samurai samurai and then just a little bit and, of the, and the Klingons and the Klingons. Yeah. They're very, you know, very brusque. I mean, and if you look at the Klingon world, you know, they're all about battle and honor mm-hmm. and glory yeah. and party and just really sinking their teeth into life. And then, but yet they're extremely honor bound. The idea of being dishonorable to another dragonborn is so abhorrent that it usually evolves in fights to the death. Mm-hmm. And then the Maori is just where the chanting and the faith comes in. And, um, and a lot of people will be like, well, you know, it's one thing to be a Druid, i.e. one of the other dragonborns, but you know, how do you, cultivated that into um being a divine person and the only answer i have to that is when you're when you create a as you have done create that um deep and rich storyline for a dragonborn nation it makes sense you know everything they do is to celebrate the battle well who do you celebrate a battle to a war god a war god's already soaking it up even mm-hmm. if they don't know his name the intention's there so that when you did bring in nuwada and we talked um Kval doesn't do bowing and scraping. He's he has never bowed to Nawada. He's never gotten on his knees. In fact, the idea is even now is completely abhorrent to him. And I think Nawada would have not appreciated that no, either. I, what he wanted, was, and I and I I've read several books where the authors do this, and that's kind of why I'm glad we're doing it. There has to be, in my opinion, there has to be certain races that a deity interacts with where they don't want to be kowtowed. They don't need somebody kissing up to them. They actually like the fact that there's something staring them straight in the eye and say. How you doing? <laughs> For lack of a better so. word. So that much works too. So um, yeah, so let's uh, pivot a bit here from uh, the history and the in the background of, of where we uh, were with Kraval and, and talk about what's going forward. So what prompted you to want to make this change? Uh, actually, exactly what I said in the game after doing with the Giants and um, in that gap in that story arc, I used up everything I had as a cleric. I had a, I just had my barbarian side and it basically was a fourth level barbarian with a, what we were at that time, 13th level hit points mm-hmm. trying to fight giants. Doesn't work real well. Yeah. And then um, the paladin side was made, made sense to me and it just, it just seemed really unbalanced into my mind. I wasn't a hundred percent happy with it. And no matter how I looked at it, I couldn't find any way, like as the creator of Kaval and the storyline that you're putting out, it's like, this isn't working. I mean, it, 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 it's it's not working cohesively. It, it, it felt like it was like, it's like running your hand down a pretty smooth uh, piece of wood and then you catch that little splinter off. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I felt like. So I thought to myself, okay, what if I did this? What, what if I rolled divine intervention? If it does work, what if I do this? So it really was that die roll that was like, Okay, I got it. Let me ask you what happens. Because the worst you could have said was no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
But um, but then as a dungeon master, I mean, you've got the rule of cool, <laughs> and you know, so th- there isn't anything really in the in the uh, rules that say, yeah, you can just go and swap uh, lo- levels around all you want. I mean, in in previous editions, there were things like that where you could. You know, when you leveled up, you could drop something from one class and put it on another, or something like that. I think fourth edition. Was fourth a lot edition like that. was big on that, yeah. Um, but um, you know, there really isn't anything that that says you can do that. But you get to the rule of cool, and well, and there's two things. I mean, if you if you're not doing like a podcast like we are, where you've got a long, one long continuous storyline and everything's got to make sense in that storyline. If if it's just you and your buds hanging around the table having a good time, and you know, Drew comes up and says. Um, yeah, my, uh, I'm really not enjoying this character. It's not working for me. It's not going real well. Um, then as the, um, dungeon master, you really want to just be able to go through and say, yeah, we should do something about that. But yeah, so, um, when we've got a continuous storyline, like we had, you're kind of handcuffed that you you need something that fits into that Mm storyline. Um, and so, you know, it, it, as you said, it, you roll the divine intervention, it came out positive, and it's like, well, there we go. Here we, we, we found a device that fits into the storyline. Well, I ended up being very grateful also for the amount of time between the moment you're like, yeah, we can do that, and then when we actually did it, because it gave me time to go, okay, this is a very significant thing. It really kind of needs something to really show that something significant has happened other than, oh, yeah, now I'm 14th cleric. Mm-hmm. So when we were talking about it, and I was... I remembered that there were racial feats and I had remembered the one I'd read called Dragonhide. And in terms of like gameplay, it's really only all it really, really does is give you the skin of say like a sorcerer if mm-hmm. you're not a sorcerer. And for most classes, that doesn't really matter. But for this, it kind of made more sense because and how you explained it also made more sense. Now, instead of being dragonborn, he really is more half dragon. And um, he still considers it a dragonborn, but that's where I went with it, and it made a lot more sense, including losing the tail. Um, I know a lot of half-dragons probably still have the tail, but it just sort of made more sense that he, from kind of the waist up, is more draconic. From the waist down, he's more humanoid, so he won't look like every other dragonborn. And mm-hmm. then the other feats. Yeah, again. and why, why did you think that was a good thing to uh, bring into the character? I thought it was a really neat storyline hook. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was entirely your decision. And why, why did you want to do that? Uh, I had two reasons. One was, like I said before, I know I've messed with this game a lot and I, um, for some people they're like, yeah, I'm going to mess with it as much as possible. He loves it. And it's good. But for me, it was like, if I'm going to mess with your world, it's, it needs, it has to be both beneficial for me and beneficial for you. And then it has to have something that creates something for everybody else. Um, if you just are that player, that's always about what you want and forget everybody else at the table, much less the guy behind the screen, you're just going to create problems. Mm -hmm. The other reason was it just, like I said, it just made sense. Um, uh, at a story standpoint, it's like if you have somebody who's going to give up an entire section of their life, there's gotta be a physical, representation mm-hmm. of that. Yeah. And and that's sort of the, what I glommed on to as well. It's like, yeah, this is a physical manifestation yeah. that Nuada has come down and touched this person directly. Yeah. So when the first the first um character notif- notification, something that's like something's immediately vastly different besides the obvious was the scarring. Mm-hmm. Nuada didn't take it away. He just made it a lot less noticeable. So when you take Dragonhide, you can put 
a one a one point increase into certain stats. One of they didn't do it didn't do for any of my stats the way my stats are, but it made sense if I drop in charisma, something would change. So I shrunk down his scars. So now they're they're more pretty than anything mm-hmm. else, except yeah. for the fact that Noada likes the fact that he's a war leader, and you better believe he's the high cleric of the lower Dragonborn, which is a title I just gave myself. But again, you just went with because it mm-hmm. kind of made sense. Um, and then I said, well, you know, doing that, what else are you going to do? Well, now he really doesn't look like any of the Dragonborn. He has stepped on an entirely different path. Does this mean it's going to happen to all Dragonborn? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But um, it needs to be like when we when he now is, walks the world of uh, your world. I'm sorry, I forgot the name of it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of storyline, I should be getting looks. You know, oh yeah, yeah, he, definitely he, will stand out even even yeah. in a world where the dragonborn might become more popular and more commonplace on the streets. There will still be this one unique individual that is different than all the yeah. rest. And I think whenever you become the first of something, it, 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 it's easy to say yeah, it changes you mentally. But in this case, he had to sacrifice, and he's sacrificing a lot. He may have, depending on how you run it when he goes if he goes back to the mountains before the end of the campaign or even when he does there may be some negative callbacks from certain clan members because yeah he still looks like a dragonborn but let's face it he looks more like a dragon man yeah so so that i mean in if you just take a step back and look at it logically either that's going to make him more popular in the eyes of the dragonborn or potential race trader or 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 maybe even just even too weird for them yeah. So it could it could slide either way when when he gets back to the the Dragonborn. So and that goes the second reason that I did it is because in this make believe background that we melded three different very real except for the Klingon mm-hmm. idealistics of living for Creval there really isn't anything he wouldn't do for the Dragonborn nation or those that he calls family or hunting party because hunting party basically is family. Everybody's you know related some way or another. So if he's doing everything he can to make everyone else stronger, he has to be willing to show people that I will go to any steps, not only for the successful hunt, the successful victory of war, the God Nawada and my Dragonborn nation. I have to be be ready to physically show it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Besides just being able to cast a very powerful spell, and that's why I think that was the other reason behind Dragonhide. So when now when ever it's brought up it's like well what did it cost you to do that and it's like this is not what a dragonborn looks yeah, like everything you know? every it literally cost him everything and matthew asked a very great question He's in, in game he said are you okay with it i thought that was a really fantastic moment that i yeah. wasn't expecting in the game yeah yeah and it's like yeah because there, he he will do that you know he has mm-hmm. you know hopefully the players don't hear this too much because i don't want to spoil it but he has no problem rolling divine intervention and taking the fatal blow from somebody else yeah, and he would be quite he'd be mm. just as happily walking out to a happy ending as he would be being the only person that died in the final conflict. Mm-hmm. To him, that's you know, that's that beautiful death. He has literally lived his life to the absolute fullest and would die with the equivalent of a draconic smile on his face the entire way, no matter how he went out. There's glory both ways, and he's happy to, to pursue it. So now that we're looking at the end of it now, though, different challenges. Um which I'll segue into is one of the things that nobody knows because we didn't record it was the conversation you and I had immediately after the last solo game mm-hmm. play when we did this, which was how do we gonna address having a high level cleric in this party when we never had one? Yeah. Um, anyone who plays clerics know the vast difference between them and everybody other class except for 
paladin and druid is that they can access all their spells. You know, wizards have to research them or buy them. Sorcerers, Sorcerers have and to warlocks them, yeah. only have one. They have to choose the yeah. one. And, you know, they can swap them Same out. Same with bards, yeah. But it's not like take a nap and, hey, now I can walk on water. Take a nap. Mm. Hey, now I can resurrect people. Um, so I can we, select from all of these things yeah. in the catalog. So the one thing I'm glad I did, when I look back, I realized it was a very smart and respectful thing to do. Is I said, okay, let's, we sat down, opened up at least the handbook and said, let's go through these high level spells and say, what's, what is potentially world breaking that I should not or will not take because it's potentially world blanking case in point plane shift could be potentially world breaking because we're now just getting back into magic being a thing in mm-hmm. the world now there's one guy that can break the planes and take you to places no one's ever explored before that's potentially yeah. game breaking yeah and also uh, we don't have quite the same cosmology um as they do in in uh the regular yeah. D and D five world where, you know, you're not, you're not bopping off to the elemental planes and things like that. Right. So if all of a sudden I pull out plane shift for a reason, mm-hmm. you're like, doesn't work. And then problems arise right in yeah. the middle of a recording. Yeah, yeah. There is only one underworld. There's not a whole cosmology mm-hmm. of, of heavens and hells that, that, uh, the various alignments go to and things like that. Yeah. And then the second thing about that is everybody who runs casters knows no matter what you are, when you hit high levels, spell components and spell, materials are humongously expensive mm-hmm. so just because i can may potentially contest a ninth level uh true resurrection doesn't mean i'm gonna be able to find twenty five thousand gold pieces worth of diamonds yeah so well it, that would be a quest in itself to it, off it, to the, the yeah. dwarves and, and calling in a lot of favors yeah. and potentially creating more favors yeah i know there's one thing as creval i would like to do in ten, in, in the sense of a story thing amongst players but beyond that, I know it's like, okay, before I pick this spell, I have to talk to the DM because in his world, this spell may not work, mm-hmm. you know? Um, a good, I mean, the best example of that is Wish. Yeah. In a lot of campaigns, including ones I run, I tell them, Wish is off the table. You cannot do Wish. And it causes some problems sometimes because, well, I want to do that. I'm like, I don't care. Wish is not allowed in my world. It's too problematic for the players and for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it can pull too many levers. Yeah. And, so, and cause too much chaos, yeah. Now, that's not to say that <laughs> listeners know I do this often. It's not to say I'm going to pick a spell that down the road is going to cause a problem because you can't predict anything. But if anything, this this particular journey for me as Creval has proven is that Mike's a great dungeon master and we will work through it to hopefully beneficial way. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a good thing too. You got to have that good, you have to have that good relationship with whoever whoever's world you're stepping into. You have to have that respect. If you don't, then you're just going to cause problems down the road. Yeah, well, as as we uh, you know, as we say at the end of the episodes, it's you know the world that lives inside my head. But then when we've had group interviews, mm-hmm. you know, I'll always tag it at the end with the, the world that lives inside all of our heads. Because yeah, I mean, it, it basically yeah. is a fantasy world that we're making together. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. you can really put it out there that you know, as far as the Underdark goes, that's Jesse's world. That's Jesse's part of that world. Mm-hmm. For Matthew, when we do go to the under, or not the Underdark, but the Underworld, Underworld, mm-hmm. supposed to the Underdark. That's Matthew's part of that world. Mine's the mountains. You know, it's it's very much arguable that now Bryce owns Port of Magnum in that that mm-hmm. plains area, whereas Melanie now owns the forest in a way. Yeah, I'm in the mountains. Yeah, it's still your world, but you know, what we didn't realize when we made these characters that we're now we own a chunk of that world. Yeah. So whenever I go to the mountains, I'm very respectful of the fact that it's like I'm not going to suddenly say, yeah, I just killed the large ancient ice dragon by dropping a wish on him. No. It's not gonna. That's not how I'm gonna do that. And yeah, as as I put in um, 
to my dungeon master notes a couple of times. Sometimes you just have to sit back as a dungeon master and nod your head and say, yes, yes, mm-hmm. the, yes, this is exactly the way the Dragonborn work. We talked about it eventually. Yeah. And yeah, th- this is, yeah, yes, this is exactly how the Dragonborn work. Yeah, I, yeah. I, what, I, what he said. I think, that, I think that comes, I think I've seen that in like people talking in the, in the actor world when they're learning how to act and be a, uh, not planned, but the other word for it. Um, improv. Improv. It's yeah. like yes and. Yes, yes and. Yeah. So, Or sometimes yes but. Yeah, or yes but, exactly. Yes. Yeah, you can yes. do that, but. Yes, you can have your, your cleric levels restored, but, but. you're now going to be a freak of nature that doesn't look like a dragon or a humanoid, yeah. and you have to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Although when I was driving up here for this interview, I had the thought that for the first time since I've started Cravalda that I finally felt like this is where he was supposed to go the entire time. Mm-hmm. I um, I know without a shadow of a doubt now how he's going to end the campaign or at least if he lives to the end of the campaign I know exactly where everything's going to be at I know where has how he's going to end up and if it ends up in a good way I know how that's going to end if it ends up in a bad way I kind of have an idea how that's going to end and I'm really happy with this character right now because it all makes sense mm-hmm. and and you probably already noticed I'm already sowing the seeds right now for everybody and, and what I'm trying to do is is to um, be giving them a couple of different choices of where they're going to end up at the end of the campaign. Should they live that long? Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that, the one that's kind of restricted is Bryce. Cause we've already figured out that he's got to be the Baron of Porta Magnum. So if, if he, if he lives, then, um, you know, he's, he's kind of stuck with that job, but, um, for the for the rest of the group, it's like you know we dangled the yeah. Baron of uh, Excalibarium Calice, and and you as a group kind of decided that uh, Adri was going to take that mantle. Um, but there's also a couple other things that are kind of dangling. I mean, her her sister would very much like her to come back and join them up there above Kalesque, and um, you know then with. Uh, I think Jesse has different plans from that. I think that's just going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I haven't talked to her at all or anything mm-hmm. about it, but I have a, I just from watching how she plays Jay or not Jade, I'm sorry. Adri. Adri. Um, I think that that's not in the cards <laughs> for you as a dungeon master. Just like I think the one that's going to surprise, isn't going to surprise you in the long run will be uh, uh, Arlen. I think Arlen mm-hmm. is, has no interest in being a teacher. He has no interest in that other tower. I think literally he's going to go back and just be the world's most high powered farmer ever. Well, it could be, yeah. So, um, but well, yeah, he was probably the most, you know, egregious example of, or most um, obvious example. Is you know, I've already given him a couple of places he could be landing once we're done yeah. if he lives through this whole thing, and uh, you know, we'll we'll just have to see what he decides to do or none of the above. Well, you're, uh, I don't call, you know, some people laugh when I say it this way. Your seating, as I'm saying, mm-hmm. I put it, um, is wonderful. Uh, and um, you know, when you finally take a step back from you as uh, being a player and look at it all, I see what I can't kind of see what you're dropping those seeds at, and it's going to give so many different people so many great ways of evolving. Mm-hmm. And I, it'd be really interesting to see what they do. And I really think you're doing a great job. Yeah, thanks, Sam. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it occurred to me just a while ago. It's like, oh, hey, you know, th- these are the potential outcomes I see coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's almost like some character in a uh, sci-fi thing that's like sitting in some space station and, and flashing in front of the screens are all the possible futures that you could uh, hit. And so I'm kind of seeing those like, well, I better start dropping in the hints right now so they get an idea of what they want to do. Yeah. Um, and then we'll see what the others, um, you know, right now, uh, Matt's character is, is pretty focused on being the storyteller for the Dragonborn. But I think there's a couple of things coming up that might, you know, give him alternate things to do mm-hmm. should he decide to do them. We'll just see. Or he'll just include it in doing it because yeah. he'll have people that are able to help him achieve that. Yeah. 
I'll, yeah, uh, I think you put it the best way. I think ter- in terms of character development, I think Matt far and away, his whole journey mm-hmm. from what Noan was to what he is now to what he will be at the end has been phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, in terms of just player that's just improved from start to finish with everything, Jesse takes the cake on that one, followed closely by Melanie. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, watching you know Bryce and Owen are great because you know even though they don't always nobody else catches up on the little in you know the in between them secrets, but a couple of times I caught I swear they're doing it on purpose. They're just trying to jab under your notice at each other with a pout and the sorcerer. Yeah. It's very subtle, but it's there. So yeah. and um, it, it actually brings up another thing that occurred to me a while back, and and that's the uh, critical role effect. Yeah, because you and Melanie. Um, both uh, are you know big critical role fans, and and obviously critical role is just the most fantastic example of really great RP heavy drama based, you know Dungeons and Dragons. Where really, I mean Dungeons and Dragons is is a more of a vehicle for the storyline that they're telling um, than you know the other way around. Where a lot of times it's like the storyline for a lot of just just you know folks sitting around the t- kitchen table at home. You know, basically that, you know, the, the storyline is something that's tacked on to the fact that they're yeah. playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And um, so I've noticed with you more than any any of the rest of the group that you will go and add a kind of a bit of richness to, you know, the character's background or their thing. Like the thing that occurred to me, like just when uh, uh, we were doing the whole uh, Kittens episode is um, Melanie mentioning that um, it's like when she, when her character her barbarian character would go into a rage her ears would go back Mm -hmm. which is what a cat does when it's pissed off and attacks you know the ears go back to to protect the ears and um but it's like yeah that's just like a lit just one level more of complexity and flavor that a lot of people wouldn't even think about they'd be just like no i'm gonna i go into rage and attack it's like you know just but adding that part and and so I've noticed the two of you adding just a little bit more. I, I yeah. kind of wonder if that isn't just from from being critical role fans and seeing the the richness they put into their uh, presentation. Well, to I know a lot of people have debated this that and the other. In fact, even I've heard Matthew Mercer and other people put out things of why I should not be considered. You know, I should not be the guideline for mm-hmm. what a dungeon master is or a dungeon or a dungeon and dragons game. And I think that's very nice and very self um, deprecating yeah. because it's a very true statement. You know, this is not what a normal a potential, you know, and that's with heavy quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Normal game is kind of like, yeah. but at the same time, it kind of is. I think, and, for- and actually, people have mentioned I've seen on um, Dungeons and Dragons forums about, you know, folks that um, are critical role fans that have never played Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. and then they show up to like an Adventures League game at their local game shop, and then they never show up again. And and the in the the thought is that it's like it's nothing like it. Yeah, it, you know, the, you know, critical role is is a very um, unique experience. You know, not not anybody can put that kind of time and energy yeah. into it the way they do. So yeah, if you, if your whole experience is just critical role and you come into a game shop in, you know, Podunk, USA and you're expecting the Adventures League <laughs> game with just a, you know, a dungeon master that they drafted for the for the AL and you know, who's just running a game just so could people can can have fun running the game, and mm-hmm. you're expecting it to be this huge RP heavy story yeah. driven thing. It's like, yeah, you're going to come in and be a little disappointed in what Dungeons and Dragons really is. That you know. that that falls also to that thing of you can always find a player, you can't always find a dungeon master. Mm-hmm. Anybody can run the game. There's Wizards of the Coast have made it so user friendly. Anybody can pick up a pre written campaign, follow the words, and run a game. Mm-hmm. Will you have fun? Maybe. Will it be as rich as Critical Role? Probably not. Yeah. 
that's just, you have to find that person like Matthew Mercer. I'd like, um, I'm not anywhere in that league or into any of the more famous DMs, but I have a very high level of imagination as anybody will tell Mm -hmm. you. So do you, that's kind of what you're looking for, for a dungeon master. And then you got to see personality wise and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So it's hard to find that. What I would say is the reason I think critical role deserves every accolade they get, every dollar they make, the whole nine yards is what critical Role was, was something that dungeons and dragons needed for so long. It wasn't just that they were all friends. It was friends that literally already had an understanding that this game, even though they've never said it, I've always pictured it. And I think this is why of all people, I hate to say, say his name, but Orion Arcaba was ki- eventually left the game or was removed. The number one rule for every dungeon dragon game period without, without any debate to me is this, this game is designed for fun, mm-hmm. all inclusive mm-hmm. fun. If yeah. you can't follow that rule, if you cannot have fun or you don't feel like you're included, don't bother playing because you're not going to find what you're looking for. So why do it? Yeah. If you're not having fun, why do it? And that's the first thing I told the people when I taught them how to play Dungeons & Dragons. That's our number one rule. If you're not having fun, don't play. It's not worth it. The other thing that Critical Role had going, and this sounds very, um, I don't know how to put this without sounding rude, but it's a vanity thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when, and every time you say, hey, I play Dungeons & Dragons, and Again, I'm going to offer an apologies in advance to anybody who's fans of, like, say, the Dungeon Dudes or mm-hmm, yeah. um, there's another uh, YouTube group. They're older gentlemen with beards and all that. But mm-hmm. when you think of dungeon, old Dungeon Dragon players, these are the guys you think of. Critical Role, when they're on air, are always well put together. Mm-hmm. They You look at them, whether it's Marisha Ray, whether it's Ashley Johnson, uh, Laura Bailey, Travis Willingham. Yes, I know all their names, but I'm not going to go through them all. Liam O'Brien. Very rarely do you see them putting themselves out there looking like they just walked out of Walmart and haven't slept in three days. Yeah. You know, so what that... Yeah, they do, get the high production values. And, and yeah, I mean, if but you they just also, have... they just also the, do that yeah. themselves, mm-hmm, you know. Yeah. And, um, I mean, and... But even, if you have just a Twitch stream someday, I mean, yeah, maybe you've got a group that really kind of puts some effort into yeah. it and, and, you know, maybe they get, uh, you know in you know you know character with custom outfits and things like that but a lot of folks it's just like hey we're just going to get everyone together around the table and oh this this is my uh, my gaming room and this is how i dress normally yeah yeah so even at the i mean i i've i went back had to go back because i found them probably about a year or two into their podcast so i went back and deliberately watched from the beginning and eventually caught up to them before watching live um even from the beginning when they're eating pizza on air and stuff like that they came in and they weren't shy about playing the game because they'd already had an established game. Mm-hmm. Plus, being their particular career field, kind of have to get rid of the idea of being shy in front of the camera yeah. or a microphone. So they were very personable and very, it was very easy to relate to any one of them. You know, the jock mm-hmm. who really is a dork, uh, the emotional emo type of guy who mm-hmm. kind of fluctuates back and forth in Liam O'Brien, the affable goofball who is also professional. That would be Sam Regal, you know, and, and they're all in one way or another. You can relate to all of them, including Matthew Mercer, who has no problem being honest. Like, yeah, I have this and I have that, but I still found a way. I was surprised to learn that he had a stutter growing up hmm. because he speaks so well. And that's, you know, when hmm. we did the kittens, he was the reason I gave uh, Burnt a stutter. It was very much similar to the one that he had created for another character. But that's also a really great example of just sort of once again the critical role effect. Whereas, you know, the 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 rest of the people on the table just kind of brought people that were just people, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, it's just that that extra step where it's like, yeah. no, I think this character should have a stutter, so I'll play them with a stutter. Yeah, that all just boils down to is that the richness is not necessary. 
but to get what you're looking for, you have to be willing to be a little risky. Um, by far, Burnt was a big, huge risk for me. Mm-hmm. Not because he was particularly edgy or out there or pushing the limits of what's considered acceptable. Mm-hmm. Quite the opposite. It's because I had to put out a part of myself that was very much Burnt Spoon. If you'd met me as a child, I was Burnt Spoon. Mm-hmm. Not not the Tourette's and not the stuttering, because that's basically what the whole twitching was, but I was a, a very nervous child. I had a horrible time making friends, very much a loner, so I read, and I was very imaginative. Burnt has one thing over me is that he loves to build. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I put this nervous little kid, and when you said kitten, I thought, kid mm-hmm. he was burnt that's the thing everyone else was might have been teenager i will say right now if everybody was like 18 19 burnt's the 14 year old that's too smart for his own good so he's decidedly younger than everybody else and i played him that way and i was really happy that everybody will one miss that fact and then two accepted him and didn't try to like didn't give me any dirty looks and i didn't expect i really didn't expect jesse and matt to be like oh my god this guy's great i didn't expect everybody to feel that way mm-hmm. I yeah, because it could have slid entirely the other way where, yeah. you know, after the first episode, everybody could have just like circled you up in the corner and said, listen, dude, this is really annoying. You got to stop. Yeah. But instead, it worked entirely 100% perfectly. Yeah. I was actually not even worried about that. I was honestly worried because the minute I mean, his voice is obviously my voice. I don't do voices very well. Mm-hmm. At least not. I can do like deeper or mm-hmm. spookier voices, but I can't do innocent real well. So that's why I kind of played him like Sheldon. Um, but even doing that, I... I was actually generally afraid that once burnt came out that um, we would get mail saying, Hey, this person is really, it's not okay what he's doing, you know, because you get that, mm-hmm. you know? So, but um, I, you know, I, I later I played him for my kids and my daughter who is extremely smart and kind of and shy. And my son, Nick, who is also extremely smart, extremely shy. They absolutely fell in love with burnt They're, They, they, or, and they made me laugh because they were praising him. There are times he gets in the car and says, "We well, just play Burnt Spoon. He just wants that one episode <laughs> and that's it. That's so nice. That Well, that's what I was hoping right. for. I'm hoping there's some little kid somewhere who doesn't feel, and that's why I feel like all my characters. I hope there's a guy somewhere who's older who hears Craval and goes, man, that's a lot like me. I hope there's a guy, mm. a kid out there who hears Burnt and goes, wow, that's just like me. You know, um, All my characters, I'm, when I'm doing this podcast, I really hope reaches somebody. Yeah. You know, and that's, I figure my father had, and I still say this about him, he has this ability that very few people do where he can make people laugh. Mm -hmm. And if I can make someone laugh, if I can make someone forget about their problems for half an hour, 45 minutes, if I can just elevate their day a little bit, then I figure, and I think that's about the best we can all hope for each other as human beings. Yeah. Well, I I can't think of anything better and I I can't think of a better place to actually to, to wrap up the whole, uh, podcast here so yeah this was this was a fun little detour that obviously four years ago when we started this we could never have planned out and once again just one of the great you know real cool moments where you know this this the entire um campaign this will stand out for everybody as one of those crazy moments that you just couldn't even have thought would happen when you first started but here it is there's gonna be some good better moments coming down the line i think for all the characters so if you're still listening Keep pay attention, and uh, if you have, if you know anyone that think likes those really cool epic moments, now's a good time to tune in. <laughs> Very good. So um, obviously, um, Creval is uh, changed physically and in his powers, and um, 
the uh, group is all off on its way to various places, and what that's going to look like, who knows? But for we're find in out so what's much gonna, trouble, I know yeah. we are. <laughs> yeah, to find out what's going to happen, we're going to have to wait for the next episode. Until then, rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, so you don't miss an episode. Email us at relicofthepastpodcast at gmail.com with questions or comments. Follow us at Relic of the Past or Relic of the Past Podcast on your social media feeds. And thank you for playing in the world that lives inside all of our heads. Mm-hmm.